Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into it. Where's the money? Where's the money? Everybody wants money. Everybody wants luxury. Everybody wants to have a nice, fat savings account. What in Canada they call RSPs. How do you get the money? Today's episode in the Shara B'Tochen in the learning to trust Hashem so that we can live with a sense of certainty and tranquility is going to address the next major issue, the hurdle, because we really need to, we need to find the right pathway. What is the Betochen approach? Now, I want to begin by saying, up until this point, we talked about the first category. And this will take you back a couple of pages. But Rabbeinu Bachai said he was going to delineate, beginning of the fourth chapter, he said he was going to delineate seven different categories. If you're looking in the Kihat edition, you can go back to page 112. And there, Rabbeinu Bachai spoke about the first category. The first category is things that pertain to what he called guf ha'adam bilvad, the person themselves. So what kind of things are those? Well, you can sum it up by saying that the first category to which betochen applies is health and basic sustenance. Those are the things that affect us very personally, very directly. Can I put myself in danger? Or do I have to play it safe? Am I obligated to actually make an effort to make a living? Or can I expect Hashem to provide me with at least my basic livelihood needs? Am I supposed to see a doctor if I'm suffering from frail health or I'm battling a disease? Or do I just rely on Hashem? These are very real questions. A person who really trusts in Hashem and relies on Hashem would be willing to ask. So why go to a doctor? Why make the efforts? If I'm supposed to get hurt or die, hey, that's going to happen anyway. Rabbeinu Bachaya was very, very forthright in going through each of these subcategories. He explained to us that we're not allowed to put ourselves in a place of danger. We are not supposed to rely on miracles. We are expected to take all precautions. We're expected to live a healthy lifestyle. Yes, we're expected to follow the advice of medical professionals. We certainly need to make every 
reasonable effort to make a living. He told us how to deal with success and how to deal with failure. So let's, let's say it should be, at this point, resolved or clear to us that Hashem provides, God provides for each and every one of us. And because the Torah tells us that we're obligated to make the efforts, we have to make the efforts. That's not to say that the blessings of success, prosperity, good health, or standing, a sense of equilibrium, any of that actually comes as a result of our efforts. Rather, it comes through our efforts. That's the pipeline. It's the mechanism. The blessing, that's God's. In the words of the Rebbe Rashab, in Kuntus Omayin, in the 25th chapter, he says, and I quote, Be'emes, kol eilu darke hateva. All of these means of nature, whether it's regarding our safety, security, longevity, good health, sustenance, livelihood, a roof over our heads, or clothing that keeps us warm. The efforts that we make, enom elo levush levad, are but a garment. Avol habrocha, but the actual blessing, the energy, if you will, nimshechas momailo, that comes from on high. And the Rebbe Rashab is very precise in saying, al yidei alav halavush, by means of the garment or convention. V'loi mitzad not by virtue of the garment. A world of difference. Ukemoi, he metaphorizes, for example, if you have gidol hatvua, you know, a farmer plants a field, and then things grow. It's nimshach, the growth is stimulated, al yidei hashemesh by virtue of both the rays of the sun and the vibes of the moon as it says in Deuteronomy 33. So this has something to do with the atmosphere and the various energies that are available to make our field grow or to make it produce its yield or harvest. However, despite the fact that everybody understands that the process of photosynthesis needs sunlight, they are but an agent, an actor, carrying out the will of Hashem. They have no ability to do good or harm. So in antiquity, people observing the realities of farming, for example, came to the conclusion that the sun and the sunlight are extremely important. And as such, they tragically made the mistake of worshipping the sun. Others worship the moon. This is known as Oved Kochavim Umazalot, to worship the stars, the constellations, planetary bodies, things in the heaven that everybody sees, things that obviously make a difference 
So on Sunday, they worship the sun. That's why it's called Sunday. That's all pagan. On Monday, they worship the moon. Yeah, it comes from the term moon, and so on and so forth. If you take a look at Spanish, the, the names of the, 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 the week actually mirror the names of the different planet, L'chaim. So, that's a big mistake. Sure, the sunlight plays a role, but not an independent role. The sunlight is merely acting as the agent of Hashem. Would you compliment uh, Picasso's brushes or his charcoal pencils? Boy, say, wow, what a fantastic pastel. Look what a creative picture it was able to create. Anybody who hears that would have to laugh or cry. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Picasso's the artist. He gets the credit. Rembrandt, he's the painter, not the pigment. The brush and the oils, they are just means, conventions, being used by the creator. And so it is with our ongoing creation. Almighty God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, provides for each and every one of us. And just as the sunlight or the moon play a role in the development and maturation of crops, so it is our efforts are creating the lavush, creating the garment. Why does God need it that way? I shared this with you before and I'll share it again. The Tzemach Tzedek, in Derech Mitzvah Secha, <coughs> that's the third Rebbe, of the Chabad Lubavitch dynasty, he says that the hashpah be'elam haza is nimsheches derech levush hateva. It comes by virtue of a garment, an envelope of nature. Pirush, he explains, shehim mislabeshes, that it becomes enclosed, embodied, umitalemet, umistateret, it hides itself, it is camouflaged. It looks like things happen by themselves or because you or I make it. That's not so. Obeemes. The truth is, hakol bo mehashem yizbarach. Everything comes from Almighty God. The nature of creation is such that God conceals his involvement. Hey, if we would see God involved in our lives every single moment, would we really have the freedom to choose to do what is right, especially when it takes traveling on the path of greater resistance? We certainly would do the right thing. The resistance would be meaningless because we'd see so clearly how we are being created, and that this is our purpose. As such, we would get no credit, if you will, for making the right choice. But righteousness, goodness, holiness, these are things that we are poised to be able to engender or even manufacture by virtue of the choices we make. But the circumstances have to allow for that choice. And one of the most important ingredients in the creation of that circumstance is concealment, where God's presence isn't overt. As I've mentioned so many times, Hasidus often will highlight the name 
of world, worlds, our world, all, all, all the, cre- the, the idea of existence. It's called olam. And olam shares a direct etymology with the Hebrew word helam, which means concealment. So olam is ma'alim, worldliness, existence, by definition, conceals. And our world, olam haza hagashmi, our world of physical phenomenon, the world of nuclear physics, if you will, is the world that conceals entirely. Like a spiritual black hole, it swallows every photon of God's light in existence, and we can't see it. And that's what makes this world so precious. It's what makes life so meaningful. Because it's only here and now that you and I really have a choice to make. And that choice makes for a world of difference. So Hashem decides or wants to conceal Himself. I quote again from Derech Mitzvah Secha. Mitzvah Stegalach is Metzirah, that's page 107 of the book. We shouldn't see Hashem's miracles. If we could see His miracles, of course we'd do the right thing. Who wouldn't? We shouldn't be able to see how in truth all of our beneficence is a gift from God and it's yoytzei minhag ha'ilam. It's going beyond the parameters, the limitations of our world as we know it. Kiim Everything naturally seems to express itself, unfold, develop by itself, by means of nature. It just so naturally seems that way. Lamashal, and here is a very easy metaphor, a parable. Says that when Hashem gives sustenance, livelihood to the Israeli, he gives it him as he needs. He doesn't give it to him through miracles, as if you'd get, so to speak, carbohydrates and proteins raining down on you from the heavens, like it was for our ancestors who for decades were eating manna that came from heaven. Zehu davar bilti tivi. That is indeed overtly miraculous. How often do people tell me, Rabbi, you know, if I'd get manna, if we'd see this, of course I'd be a good Jew. Of course I'd listen to the instructions of the Torah. And sometimes I laugh to myself because I want to tell them, did you ever read the Torah? You ever read the book of uh, Numbers? <laughs> the people who are getting manna from the heavens, how well did they do? Yeah, not so well, eh? Quetching, complaining, rebelling, revolting, not listening to instructions. How'd that happen? Ha, huh. this, my dear friends, is the great secret of life. In every set of circumstances, Hashem gives Enough of a yetzahara, enough of an evil inclination, and just enough confusion and obfuscation for us to still make the wrong choices. So it's true. We don't have overt miracles, but we do have 
33 centuries of Jewish nationhood of examples to learn from. And they've made all those mistakes already. Of course, that's the best way to learn a lesson is when you make a mistake, not when you succeed. Because when you succeed, you say, hey, well, you know, maybe it didn't come because of what I did or didn't do. But when you fail, it's very clear to you. That was a failure. So, let's learn from the past. Let's not repeat those mistakes. And no, we don't get miracles in an overt way. How does Hashem send us our parnasa? Ella. Hashem sends His blessing that we should earn a living by virtue of whatever we do to make a living. Be it commerce or a profession. And the Tzemach Tzedek says, I want you to know that this Sustenance, livelihood earned by virtue of the efforts we make happens in a manner that the one who is wont to say is able to say, I did it. I have created the success. I built this company. I made the product. I'm the inventor, the architect, the innovator, the catalyst. I get the credit. Loimar to say, Koichi, my mastery, my power. It's my wisdom and sapience, my creativity, my intuition, my insightfulness. That's what brought this all about. Yadaiti, Betoyiv, Hamischar, I knew how to play the market. <laughs> I really figured this out. Maliknes, Amos Halimker, I knew when to hold them, when to fold them. The truth is that it's not true. In his wisdom of Ecclesiastics observes that the wise are not necessarily rich. But it's Hashem's blessing that brings this all about. Hashem is moirish, Hashem makes some wealthy and some impoverished. Mashpil lowers and raises. And all of this is al Why? So that you shouldn't see. So that you should be able to make the mistake. So it's like this. You're making the mistake of thinking you did this by yourself? Mazel tov! You're doing exactly what you're supposed to. I mean, well, exactly what you're not supposed to. You've fallen into the trap. You've made the mistake that you were allowed to make but should have been wiser for. And you shouldn't say, and you should know that actually it's coming from on high. So this is much of what we learned. I want to remind everybody that if you have questions, um, looking at the screen, and you're welcome to post. So this is a lot of, a lot of what we learned uh, in, in, in the previous episodes. And... It's very clear, it's very clear to us, or it should be very clear to us that ultimately all of this is a gift that comes from Hashem. <coughs> we go through the motions, we make it look natural. That's the way God wants it to be. So we're actually obligated to do the things we're able to do, the things we're supposed to do. 
And then there was a second category. And the first category was of the things that impact the welfare of one's own person in a bodily sense. Food, clothing, health, etc. The second category, said Rabbeinu Bechaya at the outset of this chapter, were the things that affect tarpoi vesibas hoinoi umini kinyonov. One's financial affairs, like prosperity slash livelihood, amassing wealth and assets. So how does that work? In other words, I went to work, I did my thing, Hashem gave me my basic sustenance. Yeah, what if I don't want to have just basic sustenance? What if I want to have a little extra, a little gravy? What if I want to live well? We've learned that God provides what you need. You'll have a roof over your head. I don't want a roof over my head. I want to live in a beautiful home. I don't want to be able to ride the city bus or subway. I want to drive my own car. Do you really need to? Yeah, walk a couple of blocks and take public transit. I don't want to do that. Nobody else does that. I'm in my car. It's my own private office. I can be on the phone. I can be listening to Torah classes. I want to, I want to, I want to do my own thing. I want my own comfort. Do we really need that many changes of clothing? Does everybody really need all those pairs of shoes? And what if you had a simple table, not one of mahogany? Would you not be able to survive? Does the beauty of your furniture actually make it more functional? Oftentimes not. What if there weren't paintings on your walls? Or what if the walls weren't painted? Would, would you not be dry or warm? Well, you probably would be, but very few people sign up for austerity. Almost nobody wants to just live a basic existence. People want to live well. Well, how does that work? How do I get more money than the basics? Where's the money? How do I increase my index or volume? If I need to work to make a living, then the natural conclusion would be that I need to work more to make a bigger living. And the more I work, the more vessels I'm making, well, the more wealth I'll be amassing, the greater my portfolio, my assets. Doesn't that seem to make sense? But in that case, who am I relying on? So, well, I'm relying on God, but I have to do my part. So does it mean that just as we must do our part to get the basics, that if we want more, we have to do more so it looks like things are coming through means of nature? Never mind whether that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, whether we really need it or whether it makes us happy. Let's leave that aside for right now. Let's talk about suppose I want that. Suppose you want that. Do we look again to the means, conventions, the mechanisms of nature, and then assume that the wealth will come by virtue of the envelopes we create, not from the envelope, but by virtue of the envelope. After all, 
you can't rely on miracles. And if a person worked from nine to five, how's he ever going to be a rich man or woman? The answer is you probably won't be. Those people work from six to nine or five to nine, not nine to five. Then you'll make a lot of money. Now, of course, one could argue that you can work from nine to five and have your basic needs made and actually be a lot happier than somebody who works from five to nine, never sees his or her family and is so busy making money they don't have time to enjoy it. That's a discussion for another day. The fact of the matter remains that a vast, overwhelming, if not 99.9% of the population craves and wants luxury and wealth. How do you get it? Where's the money? Is there a betochen way? Is there a trust path that we should be taking? What can I do to be guaranteed or be certain that I'm poised to receive those blessings. Granted, one can never be certain that he will actually or she will receive the blessings, but what can or should I do to play my role in receiving those blessings from Hashem? We're talking about a person with lots of internalized faith. Solid, rock-solid betachin. This is precisely the issue Rabbeinu Bachaya is now going to address as he moves from category one into category two, the idea of additional income or the wealth which is not needed for basic survival. So let's get right into it. I'm going to take another Lachaim, just coffee. All right. Says the great Shara Betochen, Upeiro Shachele Kasheni. And now we are going to describe how Betochen applies to things that are essential to extra comforts, things that are required to achieve the luxuries that so many people crave and invest so much time trying to get, how is it that this betochen applies to the achievement of those worldly matters? What is the second thing? This refers to, quote, end quote, things you own, purchase, assets. A kinyan is an acquisition, something that you are now the proud owner of. Possession is a Torah idea. Real estate possession is a Torah idea. Movables or objects, these are things that Torah ordains we can own. In fact, acquisition in and of itself is a mitzvah. The Rambam in the book of mitzvahs enumerates buying and selling as a mitzvah. Not that it's a mitzvah to buy and sell, but there are so many mitzvot, so many things that Hashem expects of us for which we need possession. You have to actually own your home or own the rights by virtue of rent or lease to live in the home so that you can put up a mezuzah. Did you know that? You know your talit has to be yours or you can't make a bracha. If you don't own your lulav, 
etrog, hadasim, and aravot, you can't make a bracha and you can't fulfill the mitzvah. True, temporary gifting works for that. But temporary gifting is still the real deal. And there's a kinyan, there's an act of acquisition. You certainly can't give tzedakah with money or food that isn't yours. And the list goes on. Possession is part of living a sacred life. The possibility of possession. How does betachem play into that? What if I want to increase my possessions? And who are we fooling? We all do. Is betachem helpful? Required? Needed? How would we apply the lessons that we learned prior about basic survival to expanding one's financial horizons and achieving a greater sense of material success? How does it apply to Sibois Tarpoi? A Siba literally means a reason. But here in this syntax, as we've learned so many times, it could perhaps better be translated as a means, a convention, the envelope or source for a livelihood. The manner in which one is supposed to approach his involvement in occupation. The means through which one obtains all kinds of assets and possessions. A real estate portfolio, savings account. And here, very I want to say strangely, because he's never done this yet. He's never enumerated different vocations in the way he does right now. He goes through like a, a whole range of vocation, and there's even dispute amongst the commentaries on the Shara B'tachem which vocation he might be referring to. And I'm, I'm going to highlight this. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wordy guy. I believe in learning the words, reading the words in their Hebrew, or even if it's translation, translating them right, properly, to the best of my ability. Or not just reading, because you can never just read the Torah. You have to study it. So there's ofne asakov. There's the way in which you engage. Asek is an engagement. The mischar. Mischar is business, commerce, transactions, umalacha, and work. And of course, this refers to two ways in which a person might earn a livelihood or turn a profit. One is business. It's pretty simple. You buy low and you sell high, or you buy in bulk and you sell. The details. Detail as in detail. It makes you a living. Another method is not buying and selling, as in selling for a profit, but rather malacha. You did work, you get paid for it. That could be menial work. That could be white-collar professional work. It could be craftsmanship it could be artistry. It could be everything from gourmet cooking to oil painting. The things people do, and they get paid to do these things. There is haliches hadrochim. Some of the, <laughs> some of the, uh, the 
English translations of Shara B'Tochen translate this as travel. I don't know what that means, because you see, travel it can be vacation or holiday. I think it's more like transportation, not really travel. Maybe you're in the travel industry, as in you're a travel agent. Or, I'm not sure if they had travel agents in antiquity, I think he probably means transportation. Sometimes you transport things yourself. You're a delivery person. Sometimes you have a company that transports. That's what you do. Maybe it's on the seas, the rivers, across the deserts, or just on long paved roads. But at any rate, it's a business to be in. There's Minui. And again, it's like so unusual. He's going through the various kinds of of things people might do to make a living. So what, what is minui? What, is, what does that mean exactly? And then there's schirus. So minui sounds like um, to get a position, like a managerial position. And schirus means to be hired. Just like you rent an object, you can quote-unquote rent a worker. So here's a person, he has a profession, and you can pay him by the hour to do whatever it might be. Because it's not such a good idea to do your own wiring. You should get a professional to do that. And unless you're really good at plumbing, it's probably a good idea to hire a plumber. These are people who are hired. They work for a certain amount of time. Mind you, I can't really fill out my own taxes either. I hire an accountant to do that. If I needed legal representation, I'd hire a lawyer. So there are things we pay people to do on our behalf because they have expertise. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that um, he starts to go through like these the various, uh, various ways of, of making a living. So the Paslechem says that Earlier, when we spoke about making a living, we talked about the betochen and being sustained. You should be sure, certain, Hashem will sustain you. He promises He will. It's going to come to you. It'll, it might come through what you do. It might come through what you didn't do. As long as you made the wise or appropriate, reasonable decision to do your best, the rest you leave in Hashem's hands. Ah, uh, says, Khan over here, we speak We speak about the engagement, the involvement in the commerce and the business and the things, the means that can bring you this living. He says, what is Minui? Minui, says the Paslacham, is Kishimanu they have chosen you for a position, like a manager. You oversee or take responsibility for a particular subset of work that's going to be done. Schiros, says You're going to be hiring yourself to do a particular work. Whether it's carpentry or whether you're a computer technician. Then he interestingly uses the word pekidus, avoidas hamalachim, 
the Gizbaris. <laughs> so what is this? I mean, one way to translate Pekidos is um, clerking. You'd be a clerk. You're hired to do a specific thing. It's not a specific task or even by the hour, but you get a job. You're overseeing something. So you're a pocket. You've been appointed to oversee something. Make sure something gets done. Or you can work for the monarchy, which just means working for the government. Some people love government work. You know, it doesn't have to be precise. Pretty comfortable. I'm not so sure it was that nice working for the monarchy. But for government, if you manage to get in, in a, dem in a democracy, eh, it's a great job. Excellent security, great benefits. True, its payment isn't that significant. The private sector probably pays better, but uh, there are all kinds of other perks. Now we have Gizboros. What's, <laughs> what's a Gizbor? So the Kahat um, translates it as a treasure. It's interesting because in English, a treasure is usually a person who volunteers on a board. The art school translated it as accounting. But I'm not sure, sure how that would be different than clerking. So the Paslechem, which I think is an accurate translation, he says, A gizbar is nisman alies soichen al kinyone sar ayosha. You are the buyer. You're working for somebody. You're not an accountant. You are representing the company. You could be a sales rep. You could be a, a, uh, an official buyer. That probably makes the most sense because the Gizbar in the Mishnah was a person who represented the agency of the Beis Amigdash. He had uh, signing power. So that's what some people do. He's buying for a company, for a business. That's been the job he's given. Then this kablonus, this uh, contracting. So what could this be? The Paslechem says, you may perhaps work in agriculture, like a sharecropper. Or maybe you're uh, a person who's involved in home reno. No, no, you get a contract. Do A, B, and C. You get paid by the contract. So it's a little different than getting paid by the hour. You got to, so to speak, do the job. You know, we live in Ontario. Lots of snow here. We pay a contractor every year for snow removal. He doesn't charge us each time. It's a flat fee. Charges us for the salt when he salts the parking lot. That's out of pocket. So if it snows more often one winter or less one winter, hey, that's the risk you take. That's, that's the way this, this works. And you better believe it. When there's a big snowstorm, not every customer gets exactly what he wants when he wants it because you know what? It's the circumstances. It takes time to get to everybody. Different kind of business. Then there's halichas hamidbaris, you know, people who travel in wildernesses. 
people who sail the high seas. Ayamu. Anything like this, you know, you use your imagination, he says. So, Mimashim is asking by things that people do, lekabets mamoin. They do this to amass wealth. Ula harbeis moisi and to be able to indulge in or enjoy luxurious living. Now, it seems kind of redundant. Oh, I wanted, I forgot to mention, there's a couple of things he left out. He left out Amona and Sifrus. <laughs> so what's Amona? Amona is credit, a credit agency. And it comes from the term of trust. As the Marpil and Nefer says, Mekabel you receive merchandise, or you get money, Bahava, Ubashrai, on credit, so you're an investor. It's another way of making a living. The Tevlavaran says, Amono, al you take things on credit or consignment in order to make a living. What is Sifrus? So the Paslachim says it might be a writer, maybe a journalist. Maybe a person who knows how to write legal documents. But it might also be a barber. Because a sapar is a barber. He says, depending on how you vowelize it, and the Neder B'Kodesh is also, there's two possible vowelizations. The word is the word, but you can read it in two different ways. And I, I suppose there's a difference between being a writer and a journalist or a barber. And we don't know with certainty what the author meant. And I'm like, why? Why did he decide to list a bunch of vocations? It sounds positively strange. I couldn't find anybody who discussed it even, who explained it. So this really bothered me. Now let's talk about this last line before we go back to the range of different things you can do to make a living. He says, these are things that people do. Lekabetz mamayin to amass wealth, or to be able to enjoy life. Moisres is unnecessary luxuries. The Paslechem beautifully presents two very different kinds of people who both work really hard and want to be rich. But they're very different. One person's focus is the Kabbit's moment. They just want a lot of money. The Paslechem says, Kavanosi Ba'asokov, his intention in going to work, the Kabbit's moment, I have a lot of money, big bank accounts, stocks and bonds. Not all these people spend their money, you know? They just amass wealth. Maybe it makes them feel powerful. Maybe it makes them feel that they are comfortable, can do as they please, but they generally don't spend it. Some of these people live extremely frugally, very simply. One of the richest people in the world, if not the richest, is a man named Warren Buffett. He lives a very, very simple lifestyle. And he keeps making money. 
not about uh, fun, pleasure, luxury for him. He functions and lives on a different wavelength. Other people, they can't make it as fast as they spend it. They just want to enjoy life. Live flamboyantly, garishly, steeped in every kind of imaginable sensual pleasure or libido. And always looking for another angle, some more fun, another way to enjoy life. This is the second kind of person. He is not working hard to make the money and put it away. He just got to keep up his habits. He's got to keep paying for his vacations and toys. So he works really hard to amass enough money so he has he can have the luxuries, as they call it, the finer material, that is, the finer things in life. Paslechem says, he loves to enjoy his money. And that's the meaning of to increase luxuries of life. He doesn't want to live frugally. He doesn't want the bare minimum. He wants to have fun. Lots of it. So, suppose you're one of these people. Suppose... Suppose that's your gig. What's your betochen approach? What's your betochen take on this? Is there something you need to do to be able to get this? Is there something you even can do to be able to get it? And that leads me back to what, what I think is the reason that the Rebbeinu B'chaya listed these whole range of different disparate vocations, professions, possibilities. Okay, so let's talk about a person who works by the hour. He has a, a gift, a talent. He's a musician. He plays beautifully. You can have him play at your wedding, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, no. He can play. He's a singer, beautiful voice, trained his voice, worked on his voice. He's got a gift. You can hire him to preside at your funeral. I mean, that's yours. <laughs> People pay a lot of money for this. You can hire him to entertain your family or your friends at a life cycle event or just a party. The person gets hired. He gets paid by the hour. Whether he's a writer or a barber, how much money is he going to make? How many hours does he put in? There isn't like a, like a wild card element here. It's very simple. Whether this is a person who makes $50 an hour or $500 an hour, it depends how many hours of work. Well, if he'll work 40 hours a week, figure it out. If he's making $500 a week, he's making a nice living. Works 40 hours, gets $500 an hour. Maybe he's making $1,000 an hour. Wow, he's doing really well. Maybe he's making $50 an hour. Maybe he's making $25 an hour. This guy's got to work 70 hours a week just to make ends meet. And you come along and say, huh, what's, uh, what's, what are you doing? It's very simple. 
The whole thing is a levushateva. It's just a superficial pipeline. It's just a mechanism. So it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever money you're going to make, you're going to make. It doesn't matter how many hours you work. The guy looks like he's crazy. He's like, listen, hey, Rabbi, I don't want to correct you or anything, but it's really very simple. This is simple arithmetic. At the same time, Rabbeinu B'chai enumerated people who make investments, take risks, or people who are given jobs to do. Suppose this person is really good at what he or she does. There are people like that. It takes them three hours to do what takes other people six hours. They're really bright. They got it together. They know who to hire for half price and they can go golfing. So, how does Betochen figure? Simple. He has a job to do. He knows what he needs to get done. And if it takes him longer, hey, he's got to pay his rent. He's got to earn a living. The job didn't get done. It's 11 o'clock at night. I know, but it's due in six hours from now. Tomorrow morning, I have to deliver this. 5.30 a.m. it needs to be delivered. Honey, I'm not coming home tonight. What do you mean you're not coming home tonight? Sorry, I got to get this job done. How many accountants sleep two, three hours a night in the weeks before tax season? And they're like, listen, I got to do this. These things are due. The person who's going to take these extraordinary journeys, maybe even risks, high seas, wildernesses, dangerous places to be. Listen, that's what you got to do. You're trying to make a living. You take on a job that has more risk attached to it. It's more daunting, more draining. You're going to get more money. He's got big bills to pay. He's going to take the toughest route because the toughest route gets the highest wages. If you look at the different forms of vocation, profession, that Rabbeinu B'chaya sketched out for us, I think you find just about every range. He's trying to give you like, like a kaleidoscope of different things. And the common denominator of all of these different things are is that there is no common denominator. That in each of them, making more or less money can either be tethered to the amount of work you put in or possibly not. Is there a different way the stockbroker with betochen must approach his or her work than the house painter? House painter says, I got, I got to get square footage painted. I, I just, I got, I got work, but I, I just don't have any time. It takes time. It's a no-brainer. There's no risk involved. You buy a can of paint and you paint. Not too much brain power. Not, not, it is what it is, as they say. In clement weather, beautiful weather, he's indoors. He's doing work. He says, I can't make more money unless I work more hours. There's no high-risk painting. Just bland. And you have the guy in the wilderness. The guy who's gunning for a higher paying job because he's, he's writing. But he's writing as often as he can to get noticed. And somebody say, hey, this guy's got a golden pen. We should bring him on board. You know what I'm saying. This is like, I'm just, I'm just trying, to, I'm trying to make a point. But more, more importantly, Rabbeinu B'chaya 
I think, is trying to make a point. And, you know, what actually is the Betochen approach? I, I would like to suggest to you that everything we've learned up till now does not answer the question. It doesn't. We're still left with the question. So how do I make more? Where's the money? Where's the money going to come from if I don't put in the extra hours? And if I'm not supposed to rely on miracles? And working from 9 to 5 provides me with basics. Just a sturdy pair of pants and a workable pair of shoes, but I want to wear nice shoes and a nice suit. And I want to eat decently. Yeah, and I want to go on vacation once a year, I suppose. But how am I going to afford that? I've got to marry my kids off. How am I going to do that? I've got to work longer, more hours. And then you have a person who doesn't really have the opportunity. He, doesn't, he has a job. That's what he has. He does his job as well as he can do. He can't put more hours into it. Should he look for a second job? If he wants to make more money? These are very real questions. What is the betochen approach to finding the money? So the Bain of Bechaya actually says something remarkable. It's borderline shocking. You're going to love this. Buckle up. Because what you are about to learn is going to be entirely liberating. It's going to change your life in Mir Hashem. I think. Listen to this. Says the great Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar. Ofnei yoishar habetochen bahem al ho'elekim. So this he says. This is the way. An ofan is a way. The manner. He says, this is the manner in which a person is supposed to, so to speak, rely on God. This is the way, the correct manner. You do the job that God gave you. The job that God gave you. <laughs> That's interesting. How do I know what job God gave me? Maybe this is the job I gave myself. Maybe it's the wrong job. It's a good question. The answer to that question is that we've already learned that Hashem provides us all with a specific measure of intellect, emotion, inclination, stamina, courage, patience, physical strength, Many of these are needed for particular vocations. And some aren't. Say you drive a rig. You need to really have perseverance. You need to be able to stay focused. These guys drive for a long time. You have to be alert. It's very different than a job like bricklaying, entirely different kind of stamina required. Bricklayers are up early in the morning, before the sun rises, they're done work by about two, maybe three. 
don't need to be terribly alert. Some talent with the hands. You got to be focused. You got to be ready to stick with it. Push through, get it done. And there are jobs that are filled with excitement. Imagine the people who are doing the daredevil stunts. Very different than bricklaying. How about the person who's going to take a job in law? He's going to be a, a barrister, as we call him in Canada. He's going go to go to court and litigate. You gotta have, as they say, koyach. You gotta have yaitzis. You know, that's that's not the, you're facing the judge and facing facing a an, an angry adversary. Keep your cool. Think quick. Physical perseverance is not the thing you need there. I could go on. You know what I'm saying. So the point is that Rabbeinu Bachaya has already told us in the third chapter that we are each given a predisposition, almost an inclination towards a particular job. In his words, he says, Everybody has a desire. Hashem gave us an interest. We're drawn towards certain things. So, I mean, the truth is that it doesn't make a difference whether you enjoy or don't enjoy what you do. It's not what life's about. Some people go to work, and for them, that's life. Other people go to work to make a living. So what if I don't like what I'm doing? It is what it is. I do what I gotta do because of the things I really do like. But Rabbeinu Bachaya says that as it is, Hashem imbues each of us with specific inclination. We're each drawn towards a particular vocation. Today it's very common in high schools to have counselors to help kids figure out what they want to do, what they're drawn towards. Look, I have the privilege of serving as one of the Rebbe Shluchim. There are some really heroic and impressive colleagues of mine, like the incredible work that's being done in Ukraine right now, the humanitarian relief, these, these rabbis and rebbes and stuff. So much courage, so much stamina, so much dedication and devotion. I, I actually feel ashamed. I can't put myself on the same uh, on the same tier as the, this. What they're doing is amazing. So I got to try to work harder. I try to do what I can do, and and shlichut, which is, I don't want to call it a vocation because. It's not really, it's a, it's a calling. What the Rebbe encouraged us to do, to go on shlichut. So you get married, and then you and your wife, you ask yourselves, where can we make the greatest contribution towards the betterment of Jewish life and life in general? Where can we make a positive difference in people's lives? You know, when I was, I'm still very, very young, but when I was even younger, after a, short few years stint teaching in a yeshiva, I said, I gotta get out into the world. I, I do something that's less narrow. And, and there was, what we do now in Toronto was kind of opening up, but it wasn't yet ready, it was premature a little. So we ended up getting a, a 
tremendous opportunity in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim. You know, we have to ask ourselves, may, maybe we should stay here. Maybe, you know, living in Yerushalayim, teaching Torah, what could be better than that? And then we asked ourselves a simple question. Based on our education, based on our familiarity, based on our upbringing, where would we be able to make the greatest difference? You know, it's not simple when you come in as an American or Canadian in Israel. You didn't serve in the army. You're past your prime already. You're not, you're not going to really get into that. It's, it's hard to break in. Hebrew is not my first language. For better or for worse, we made the decision that we were going to come to Toronto because we thought that's where we could make the greatest difference. I hope I made the right decision. I think I did. At a certain point, I realized that Hashem gave me a gift to be able to study, understand, and then communicate those ideas. I spend a lot of time teaching Torah. These days, much of it, or even most of it, is online. I have colleagues who, that's not their thing. So shlichus is really personality work. Not in that way different from whatever vocation we choose. You find what works for you. And you work like a dog. Nothing against dogs. You got to work really hard. Because, because Hashem expects us to work hard. And especially because what I'm doing is holy work. This is not Bidei Shomayim. That's specifically something I'm tasked with. I toil and make every effort. I really try hard. But the arena that I was drawn towards by divine design, by virtue of whatever gifts and talents and deficiencies and, you know, I guess you would call it occupational hazards that everybody has, you find your way. My dear friends, we, Torah Jews, do not believe in accidents. We don't believe that you got certain gifts to be squandered or wasted. There's a famous vart, a teaching from the Alter Rebbe, and it goes like this, Achush If you get a gift from Hashem, you have to utilize it. Every ounce of wherewithal, every ounce of ability, every ounce of talent has to be used for a holy and sacred purpose. After all, why else did Hashem give it to us? This includes a propensity or even proclivity to do certain things. Because if you're good at those things or enjoy doing those things, you're going to be successful at them. So who chooses your vocation in the end? Hashgacha Pratis, divine design. And part of divine design is not only the circumstances that come your way, but the abilities, the unique gifts that Hashem provides for you. You know, there's a a fascinating Gemara, Meseches Brachas, it's found on Daphnem Gimel, on page 40, 43. And the gist of it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it says, made everything hakol yofe be'itoy. It's a verse in Ecclesiastics. King Solomon says in the third chapter, in the 11th verse, Hashem made everything beautiful in its time. And the understanding the Gemara takes from that is that Hashem made beauty in the eye of the beholder. 
This is an idea which shows up in the writings of our sages with regard to the place we live in, that the place we call home we find beautiful. Zachin, something that attracts us. We feel good. We're back home. And the same is true of the vocation that's of choice, but also of destiny. Hashem made it appealing to us. We find this fulfilling. We find this meaningful. We find this enjoyable. Rashi there explains that Hashem did this. God does this for the betterment of society because in this way, everything that society's civilization needs, somebody will be prepared to do. Somebody's got to be the undertaker. Somebody's got to be the sanitation engineer. And somebody's going to get involved in entertainment. All can be done for a holy purpose. And you'll have a flair for what you do. So going back now to Rabbeinu Bachai, he says, here is the betochen way to do this. The betochen way to do this is, she Hashem gave you. He arranged for you. He prepared things for you. Roll up your sleeves. Do it. How much should I do it? I want to be rich, a person says. I want to have luxury. I want to have a cottage. I want, I want to have vacations. I want to have a beautiful wardrobe. Bells and whistles, toys. I want to have fun. I don't want to live an austere life. I don't want to just live in a one-bedroom apartment. Rebina Bechaya says, what you need to do, you need to do what's reasonable, what provides for a median average lifestyle. That's what you need to do. You need to do, you have to sort of scout out or create a, a sketch of how you're going to get to fulfill your needs. You know what your basic needs are. You know, you, know, you know what you have to do. We're not talking about living beneath the poverty line. And what perhaps satisfies people living in one part of the world or in one particular arena of anthropology today is not going to satisfy people living elsewhere. There may be people who live without running water today, without electricity. They say, well, if they can do it, can't you? That's not fair. That Hashem would have put me there. If Hashem put me here, I expect to live a decent, average, what's called an appropriate way of life, a median kind of way of life. Middle class, regular. So how much do you need to live a regular life? You figure out that you've got to work so many and so many hours. You figure out you've got to do such and such take on this amount of jobs. Go back to you know, the matrix of the different occupations or that he sketched out for you previously. So you figure out what you need. You, see, you find the vocation that Hashem has prepared for you to the extent that suffices for the purpose of obtaining your basic sustenance and food. Whatever's basic. That's how hard you're going to work. So if an average lifestyle requires $75,000 a year, you need to figure out how to make $75,000 a year. If it's $100,000 a year, you need to figure that out. You know what your needs are, and you need to figure out, how am I getting there? 
They say, well, the vocation I'm doing is only going to give me $26,000 a year. How am I getting to 75? You need to find a new vocation. You need to find something else to do. Because it's impossible that Hashem didn't give us the opportunity to provide for ourselves. And He's not talking about living in a refrigerator box. Or camping out in the freezing weather underneath the freeway. There are people, tragically, who live this way. That's not the kind of life Hashem expects us to live. The person says, yeah, I just don't want to live an average life. I want to have a swimming pool and I want to have bells and whistles. So Rabbeinu Bechaya maintains in Shara Betochen that you should not aim for lavish luxury. You should not aim for wealth. Because guess what? You're not necessarily going to get there anyway. Here's what you should do. This is the betochen way of life. And we're not talking about living a life that is ignoring luxuries and a life that's focused only on material austerity and spiritual riches, which, which is, by the way, a very nice and lofty calling and something we should all perhaps yearn for. But that's not what this is about. I heard a story recently and I don't remember the details now, but I, I heard it from a person who was there and he remembers the details. That there was a tumachotanim, there was a wedding and there, were, and there was the discussion about being able to afford the wedding and the Rebbe wrote, what's wrong with paper plates? <laughs> what's wrong with paper plates? And this person told me, he was at the wedding and there was paper plates. I said, they're very happily married. They have a beautiful family. And nobody remembers the wedding as being less of a wedding, the Rebbe said it could be a, a very freilicha, very joyous wedding, because joy and dancing, that is a very important part of the wedding, with paper plates. And it was paper plates. Now, to say that everybody has to start using paper plates at a wedding, it's, uh, it's not going to fly. The Rebbe told this particular couple, there was an answer, so that's what they did, and that's what the parents did, and it, and it worked in that time, and I think the Rebbe wanted to make a point. That we, we, we spend in... Ridiculous ways for simchas, which is inappropriate. Maybe there's a lesson to take from the whole COVID meltdown. That, that we don't have to make the kind of blowout simchas that people used to make. It's not necessary. But the point is this. We're talking about decent. Middle of the road. A person should be able to pay his or her bills. You should be able, you shouldn't have to live beneath the poverty level. You shouldn't have to live with your hand out. You shouldn't have to live in a way that you can't afford life. So you should work, you find a vocation, you find something you do, and you see a way, how, how are you going to get there? You have a critical path. You do A, you do C. This person works six days a week, another person works five days a week. Why is one guy working on Sundays too? Because he has to. Not everybody else works on Sundays. Okay, then he does need to work on Sundays. He's a musician, and he hires himself out. He plays music at night, and he has a job during the day in the office. Okay. All right. Who says you need to be home from 5 o'clock in the afternoon every day and uh, chilling out all evening? Comes home, he spends some time with his family, and he goes to another gig. No problem. You have to work as many hours. In whatever vocation it is, you've got to figure out how you're getting to be, so to speak, to the middle of the road. This is where it gets amazing. And then says Rabbeinu Bachaya, stop right there. 
Stop right there. Because, he says, If God decides that you should be the recipient of his beneficence and largesse, and you should have wealth, there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's a great gift from Hashem. It's a beautiful thing. If Hashem decides that you should get it, you're going to get it. Rabbeinu B'chayah says something absolutely amazing here. Wealth is not the byproduct of hard work. It's not the byproduct of hard work. But it doesn't have to be. Now, a person should say, hey, one second, I like this. So I don't have to work hard? I think I should work two hours a day. That's what I think. I'll work from 11 a.m. to 1. I eat breakfast till 11 and I got lunch at 1, okay? And, and if and God's going to have to provide for me because if the beneficence is due, then it's due. And if it's not, well, then it's not. Wrong, says Rabbeinu Bechaya. You need to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Really, 12 hours? That's what the job is. Well, am I going to doubt him? You're going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Get up at 4.30 in the morning. That's okay. You're going to learn chesidus before davening, daven like a mensch, and you go to work. You have to be at work at 7, you be at work at 7, you work at 8, you be at work at 8. When you have whatever works, you know your vocation, you know what you're naturally predestined to do, follow in that path. Sometimes people get uh, midlife crises. They change tracks midlife. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It can even be symptomatic of a spiritual change. There's a fascinating statement which is made in Eitzchayim in which the Kisvi Arizal say that there could be Gilgul Mechayim, multiple reincarnations in one lifetime. You could actually be accessing different soul elements in a single lifetime. And a person could choose to be a, a, a white-collar CEO, get very successful at it, and then decide they want to become a physician. I know a guy like that. Brilliant man, incredibly talented. He decided in his late 40s he wants to fulfill a childhood dream. He loved being a CEO. He was a CEO of an extraordinarily successful company. He engineered at sale and then went to medical school. And now he's a phenomenal doctor. He could do such a thing. How many hours should he work? As many hours as he needs to be able to make a living. What about riches? Ah, that's where it stops. In other words, the idea of the work that we must invest through which Hashem's blessings come, through, through which, not by which, through which, it's like the pipeline. You don't thank the pipeline for the water, or you don't see that as the source of the water, the source of the hydration is the reservoir. The pipeline simply brought it to you. No, you can't paint without brushes. You can't sculpt without your implements, but the implements themselves did not do this. The writer needs a word processor, indeed, but the computer or the keyboard is not what produced the article. For this, there's a creator, a writer, a painter, a sculptor. There's a chef who made that delicious cuisine. Sure, they used a pot and a pan and a good kitchen, but pots, pans, and nice stoves do not produce food in and of themselves. You don't say, what a phenomenal food processor. It made this delicious, wonderful um, food. No, you say, wonderful chef who used good knives, good food processor, good implements, had a good kitchen space to work in. So it's through these things. A person can't say, look, I'm a chef. 
but I'm not investing in knives and I'm not going to buy pots and pans. So I'm just going to throw everything together and God will have to make a, a masterpiece out of it. It doesn't work like that. That's ridiculous. You need to do your part. So what's my part? Rabbeinu Bechaya says your part is to work towards the medium. Work towards the medium. Well, Michal David is a photographer. He says your camera takes good pictures. How silly is that? The photographer takes good pictures. But he needs a good camera. And he says once you do that, if you're going to be wealthy, if Hashem decides you're going to be wealthy, then Hashem will decide you're going to be wealthy. Mibli toirach v'yegiyah. That'll come effortlessly. Amazing concept. For the basic sustenance, you have to toil. For the bells and whistles, the luxuries, the additional income, that has nothing to do with your toil. Pardon me. As per your trust. As per your trust. So what actually brings the blessing? Your trust. And this, my dear friends, takes us back to something that Rabbeinu B'chayah spoke about very early on. When he says the words, Kasha Yiftach El Ho'elikim, it's almost like saying, with the proviso that he trusts in Hashem. In other words, the intimation here is that if you don't trust in Hashem, you won't get these blessings. Do you remember we learned many an episode ago in the Psiche, in the opening, we learned that if a person trusts in Hashem and other things, then Hashem says, okay, that's fine, then you get the blessings from other things. Because trust is a sum-zero game. You trust in Hashem, in Hashem only. Rabbeinu B'chayi is saying something absolutely mind-blowing. You are required to do work, to create vessels, conventions, to develop envelopes through which you can see in natural means how your basic living is going to be provided. You'll be able to say, oh, of course I paid my bills. I worked hard. Just remember, it's not really quite like that. You paid your bills because Hashem allowed you to pay your bills. And He made it look like it was the work you did that brought you the funds you needed. However, when it comes to what's beyond those basic needs, that's another story. Luxuries, extra income, a bigger portfolio, assets. That's in Hashem's hands. And it remains entirely in Hashem's hands if you trust in Hashem. As we learned many, many times from a variety of classical sources, the betochen, the trust itself becomes the vehicle through which the bracha arrives. That's how you get those blessings. It actualizes the beneficence that comes from God. And Rabbeinu B'chayah says, Don't look for new, additional ways to make more money. 
They don't say, I need more money. Where's the money? I know how I'll get it. I'll do A, B, C, and D, which I'm not really required to do, but it's not part of my basic business plan. But I'm going to do these things so I can get rich and make more money, because that's what I want. So I can have a big fat bank account and die with more money in the bank than anywhere else. Oh, that's one guy says. The other guy says, I want to be able to spend and spend and live freely and not worry and I'll just, I'll just keep working and make more money. I'll make that, I'll pay it off and I'll make even more money. I'm going to live a life of Riley and I'm going to work so hard and the harder and more money needs, the more I'm going to work and I'm going to live with more luxuries. What are you talking about? If you're going to get extra money, it's because Hashem decided you should get extra money. There's nothing to do with your hard work. If Hashem didn't decide that you should get more sustenance, you can move heaven and earth. You can do whatever you want, he says. If God decided you shouldn't get it, you're not getting it. Not by any means. So in the end, it can only come to you through those means. The means that Hashem ordains for you. Here it gets a little bit complicated. Rabbeinu Bachayah said, it's about trust. Trust will bring it to you. And then he says, if you're not supposed to get the additional income, no amount of work will bring it to you. But what if I am supposed to get the additional income? Right? We've learned, and I've quoted this Gemara more times than I can count. A person's sustenance is decided for him on Rosh Hashanah. We, I don't want to repeat things we've learned many, many times in previous episodes. We have to actualize, download the blessing, bring it into our lives. The potential has already been given. He says, you can't make any more than the potential that's already been allotted. But one second, what if I want to get that potential? Here's where it gets really interesting. You can't make more money than you can make. There's a glass ceiling, but you don't know what that glass ceiling is. But at the same time, you don't have to work at all any more so than you would for a regular, so to speak, living, as long as as long as you have the token, as long as you have trust. So, how exactly does this work? And here, Rabbeinu B'chaya concludes, and I'm going to come back to this question. Wouldn't you like to live anxiety. Wouldn't you like to live a life that's peaceful and tranquil? Don't all of us want to live that kind of life? When you place your trust in God, and we've talked about this so much, what that means. So when you actualize faith, internalize, actualize, and you, you, you implement the faith the conviction, the trust, and you rely on Hashem. Then you find a sense of inner calm and peace. Why? He says, because, because if the money is coming to you, it's coming to you. You know, people get all tight and worried. And they're like, but, but what if I, what if somebody else takes what's mine? says, Hashem is not sending your money to anybody else. If it was destined for you, it's coming to you. Nobody can take that which is rightfully yours. 
and nothing that anybody took was supposed to be yours. As the Neda Bakredish says, Ein ha'odom Nobody can touch that which Hashem ordained and arranged for you. You can't get it any faster than the time it was ordained. So nobody else can take it. And you can't accelerate its arrival. The Marple Nefesh puts it this way. He says, Hashem will not take away that which is rightfully yours. It will never give it. It looks like that guy stole your money. He didn't steal your money. He couldn't. He stole, he will pay. Who? Hashem will take care of that. Whatever is rightfully yours will be yours. Hashem will find another way to give it to you. Nobody can actually take that which is yours. So it's a prohibition to infringe on somebody else's business, for example. And you have the right to take a person to court, and it might even be your obligation. But you must know, in the end, nobody can take away what is necessarily supposed to be yours. And this is, uh, really, this is really big because what happens invariably is that people are filled or riddled with what's called anxieties. They're worried. The Menoye Chalavave says, when he uses the words, Lo Ya'avirenu, it won't pass over. He says, it's as if it says, Ya'avor mi menu. It won't be lifted or taken from you. Ki At the time Hashem decided, that's exactly when it comes your way. Not sooner, not later. That's how a person can live with no anxiety. Do you know that anxiety and stress is said to be the number one biggest killer? It causes everything from heart failure to cancer. A person who can live with no anxiety, no worries, not thinking, this person took what's mine, and I was too slow on the draw, and I could have made this happen. You'll find yourself a life that is anxiety-free. Imagine that. Imagine how tranquil a person could actually be. The Paslechem, who has this propensity of going into each detail of Rabbeinu Bachaya's words and showing us the deeper meaning, he says, From different ideas that a person is always, he's brainstorming, his mind's all over the place. His, his mind isn't at rest. And then he says, there's no peace because he's rid, riddled with anxiety and worries. Shalva, he says, tranquility, is is the opposite of anxiety. If you're anxious, you're not tranquil. But there's no reason for you to be anxious. Because if you do what you can do, what you must do, Hashem will grant you what you need. And if He wants, you'll get more too. And if He doesn't, well, then you won't get it. And nothing will change it. That is to say, Rabbeinu Bechaya is introducing a radical new concept to us. You are required to make the efforts 
that on paper deliver the results you seek. You need to make $100,000 a year. You need to find a professional vocation, a way for you to be able to get that money. You need to be able to live. If you can't live, find a new job. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need to be able to find these things for yourself. I didn't see luxuries. I didn't see extras. You need to be able to find the medium, just the basics. There's a formula. The accountants can help you with it. How much you're supposed to spend on... On, on a roof over your head, how much you're supposed to spend the food. There's a formula. And you need to have, within the means of nature, uh, a sketch of how you get in there. And if the vocation you're in, or the amount of hours you're working doesn't add up to it, you can't say, well, uh, that's God's problem. I worked my hours. I did my thing. <laughs> Rest is Hashem's hands. He promised. That's as ridiculous as saying, well, the, the, food's, the food's here. If God wants me to stay alive, He'll put the food inside my body. I can't be bothered to chew the food. It's ridiculous. It's your responsibility. It's Hashem's food. You're responsible to ingest it. Hashem is giving you the bracha. You're responsible to lay claim to it. <laughs> I say that Rebbe once told somebody that, that um, he would have a, a bracha or something in, a, in an exceptional way. He'd win, win the lottery. And he wrote to the Rebbe, he's not winning the lottery. The Rebbe wrote him back, you have to buy a ticket. It's like, it's like, like basics. You've got to do your part. But Rabbeinu B'chai says something amazing. This is only when it comes to what you, quote, need for your average middle-of-the-road living. Basic sustenance. Extras? Betachem is the answer. There's no guarantees. If Hashem doesn't want you to have it, you're not going to get it anyway. But if it is possible that you should receive that added beneficence, the additional income, all you need to do is trust in Hashem and do the things that bring His blessings. So now, going back to the words of the Tzemach Tzedek in Derech Mitzvah Sechen Tegalach Metzedah, he says, L'chein, gam sha'odam bakesh rachimim sh'yishlach Hashem parnaseh. A person has to actually ask Hashem for his parnaseh. Ask Him for mercy. Rely on God's mercy. Request Hashem's mercy. But you still need to do your part. He says, uh, davening is not good enough. And then what does that mean? As we learned, that he has to prepare a garment. That's the euphemism. That's the parabolic terminology we use. You have to prepare this mechanism. That you can see how God's blessing is going to materialize. Is a proper business, a proper a profession, which follows Teva Ha'olam by virtue of nature. Two plus two equals it equals four. It works out. You see how you can work. You're in a position. You get paid this amount of hours. You got to work this amount of hours. It makes sense. It works. That's a good. That's a good garment. <laughs> It'll keep you warm. What's it a good garment for? It's a good garment. It's a good garment for God to be able to camouflage and to conceal His blessings that He, God Himself, is sending you. Through this pipeline. Not because of it. Via it. The Shefa, the blessing, the beneficence is it is by virtue, through this convention, this envelope, which conceals Hashem's kindness. 
So much so. What's called concealed? Concealed is, You should be able to say, Yeah, yeah I did this myself. I don't need God for this. This I'm okay with. This is, everybody else is making a living. Why should I make a living? Then it's a proper levush. Now, don't be a silly and see past it. But he says, the truth? The truth is that when you're involved in the commerce, vocation, profession, whatever it is that you do, to make this living, so to speak, to make, to facilitate Hashem's blessing, you have to believe that this is coming from God Himself. Like any other overt, obvious miracle. Just like He is camouflaging it. You're God's partner in creating what seems to be a natural convention through which it's delivered. That's Ratzinah Elyon. That's the way it's God's will, and it'll be God's will until Mashiach comes. Then the Tzemach Tzedek, later on in this Maimer, and it's so remarkable to see that the teachings of Hasidus are literally hand in glove in the words of the Shara Betochen whenever they discuss these subjects. Somebody who really wants to get rich. He's not looking for sustenance, he's not looking for parnasa, he's looking for wealth. Says the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek, all of his extra work is not going to help him. And it's not moyle klum. Unless he has his mevaker shrachim, and Hashem sheyishlachi, he asks Hashem to send it to him. If he's not going to pray, he's not going to ask Hashem, he's not going to remember where it comes from, you're wasting your time. You can pray for wealth. But don't think that it's your extra work that brings it. It's enough for you to do. What's enough for you to do? The extra work doesn't help. And then Tzemach Tzedek says something incredible. And when or by virtue of preparing this proverbial garment, God sends his blessing. This is what's written in Deuteronomy 15 verse 18. Hashem blesses you by virtue or via that which you do through the envelopes you created. If you don't make the garment, if you don't turn the faucet on, don't expect the water to come out. You may have all kinds of spiritual wonderful things that come to your way, but it won't come in a material way unless you make the proper envelope. The, the new software is right now available. You've got to download it. If you don't hit download, you're not going to get it. Do not make the mistake of doing a tremendous amount of work to be able to get the riches. 
Why would you make a garment that's bigger than the God is going to send you a certain amount of energy. It has to materialize. You need to make an envelope that contains that blessing. You're making a much bigger envelope. For what? If you don't have the blessing, the bigger envelope is not going to be of value. You can work a lot in business. What will be from it? Nothing. A waste of time. Because what's coming to you needs a small garment, not a big envelope. You made a big box, but it doesn't fit. You don't need such a big box. Making the box bigger is not going to make the treasures in it any more copious. It's not going it's not, it's not to increase it. It's a levush because it's not the business that brings you kiem And here, the Zemach gives us a phenomenal metaphor. The person who works all this extra time and he's got to make the extra money, he accomplish nothing. On the contrary, what happens is he's actually ruining things for himself. You know what this is like, says the I'll tell you. A person who's got a suit made for him, the right size. If he's Bezamas, if he's, if he's two feet, and he makes a lavush that's three meters instead of two, three cubits instead of two cubits. So not only the garment, the suit isn't beautiful. It's, oh, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful fabric. You know what? Let's make a larger suit. Make it a little bigger. Now, now it's a baggy suit. But it's beautiful fabric. Draping yourself in beautiful fabric is not beautiful. Wearing a suit that fits your figure or flatters your figure is beautiful. So the suit has to fit you. Similarly, if a person is doing all this work but he doesn't have Hashem's blessing, he's actually mikalkel. He's ruining things. What happens from that kind of clothing? It's not beautiful, and you can't even move around. You start to trip over your own, your own hems. And you could end up falling. This is pretty powerful stuff. In the words of the Rebbe Rashab in Kuntus Umayyan, he says that when a person, the bracha that comes, no maila, as we read before, is ayyidei halavush. It comes by virtue, not because of the garment. And then the Rebbe goes on to say, the Rebbe Rashab says, where therefore, what is the way a person can get a greater blessing from Hashem? The Asik and the Levush is only a Shlich Levad, it's only an emissary, an agent in God's hands, beyond Hashem. It needs to become incarnated into some kind of physical expression. Well, if he's a move on, it's understood, don't try to make a bigger garment. This is pointless. The garment is not the main thing. The box is not the main thing. The envelope is not the main thing. It's what comes through that pipe. A bigger pipe doesn't bring you more water. What's the main thing? You want to be rich? Okay, pray for it. Daven for it. Straighten your pathway in Torah. The key to riches is to be able to do what Hashem wants even better. 
do mitzvahs with more meticulous fashion. You should be deserving of this bracha. When God's giving out riches and wealth and blessings and, and beneficence, that you get what you get coming for you. And how is that? By having a proper Rosh Hashanah, by accepting Hashem's dominion over you, through tshuva amitas, through a experiencing a spiritual rejuvenation, a restoration of who you really can and should be. And the Rebbe says very interesting. He says, Just not because that Hashem is going to give you good things, materialism, because of this, Oh, I better be a good yid. I better accept upon myself the yoke of heaven. I better promise Hashem to be a dutiful and devoted and committed Jew because if I do this, then Hashem is going to give me lots of uh, wealth. I'm going to get lots of perks. No. Accepting the euphemistic yoke of heaven and performing tshuva return has to be a mitis you have to serve Hashem because that's the purpose of life. That's, that's what life's about. And therefore you have to remain steadfast in your observance and commitment to Yiddishkeit, to the study of Torah and performance of mitzvahs a whole year long. And that means, my dear friends, listen carefully. To pray at the proper time. And not to read the words as fast as you can and turn the pages so that you don't need to turn the air conditioner on. It means to pour your heart out for Hashem. To mean what you say and to say what you mean before Hashem. And you ask for your needs because you believe that Hashem gives you your needs. And you devote yourself to Torah study. Nothing to get in your way. And after you do all those things, you do your business. And you do what has to be done. And you know that you have done your part. And all that's missing is Rak, what's chaser? Levushateva. What's missing is the garment, the material. Okay, says the Rebbe Rashab, make your material garment. The levushateva, it's just a garment. It's just a mechanism. And the mechanism will embody itself within, will, um, pardon me, the blessing will embody itself or will actualize within that frame. And that's when a person is deserving. When a deserving of God's beneficence. Then it comes down in this world. Even with just a little bit of, we could do a little less work even. However, when a person isn't deserving and Hashem doesn't want to give him, of what virtue will be all that work? The chesed isn't coming down. The main thing is to be devoted to God. God is the source of our blessings. Devote yourself to God. Live a life of mission, meaning and purpose. Live a life of service and subservience. Live a life of devotion and dedication. Live a life of humility and holiness. That's what life's about. You have needs. God will provide those needs. The more we are deserving, the more we can expect to receive it. There's a famous story of a man who once came to the Alter Rebbe and he had a whole laundry list of things he needed. And the Alter Rebbe looked him in the eye and said, Du sagst als was du darfst. All I hear is you reading a list of what you need. What does God need from you? Or what does God need you for? And the Alter Rebbe told him, 
after this person became very emotional and distraught to hear, you know, the naked truth, which sometimes hurts, the Alter Rebbe said, you do your part. You make sure that you are providing what Hashem needs from you and the Eibish, the Almighty God, He will provide for you what you need from Him. This, my dear friends, is the way we are supposed to live. This is the meaning of living a life of utter faith and commitment to Hashem. And we're out of time. So I prepared another whole amazing thing to share with you about, about a, a beautiful idea which we talked about in previous episodes from the 31st volume of Lakuta Sikha, so Purim Sikha, where the Rebbe explains that the problem, the problem of the Jewish people in the time of Mordechai and Esther was that they believed that Achashverosh was their source of deliverance. They actually, they, they were supposed to be sustained miraculously. Our existence is a miracle. But they instead used natural means. And because they used natural means, well, naturally, anti-Semitism was a very powerful force to be reckoned with. And, and it ended up becoming the catalyst for a genocidal plot against the Jewish people because we turned our backs on Hashem. But when we did tshuva and came back to Hashem, then the blessings, then the miracles were ours again. This is the same idea. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, trust in Hashem. Your trust brings you those miracles. That Tzimach Tzedek told us clearly that you have to know that your parnasa is kishare nisim hagluyim. What brings it? Trust in Hashem. What brings it? Devotion, Torah study, performance of mitzvahs, diligence, commitment, conviction, faith. These are the things that bring it. We do our part. Hashem is baruch does his part. So in closing, today's lesson, where's the money? It's a phenomenal eye-opener. The basics, you have to have a structure that makes sense to be able to make a living. The perks, the luxuries, that is really in Hashem's hands. I'm not sure what just happened here. Right. I don't know what just happened. All right, my friends. If I'm still alive, that's great. That was really the end of the class anyway. Um, I think my laptop crashed. Thank you so much for joining. Have an amazing, gorgeous, and beautiful day. And keep on coming. Zeit gesund. Take care. Bye-bye.